Hello, everybody. Welcome to On the Home Front. I'm John Murphy. Very happy to be here with you once again. You might be listening to us live on WILI right here at AM 1400 and 95.3 FM. We also record the shows for YouTube. The radio station has a block of information shows Monday to Friday from 5 o'clock, and most of them have uh, their own channels on YouTube. So if you miss a live show like today, you can always catch it on YouTube anytime. So we're really happy to have you however we get you. Our show today is in three segments. At the last part of the show, uh, we're going to look at Click, our local food incubator with uh, Lee Duffy. It's the commercially licensed cooperative kitchen. We'll talk about their activities. For the second half, we're going to talk with artist Andrew Rochester, Andre Rochester. He's the program manager at the 224 Ecospace Gallery. He's also a fellow member with me along as the, a member of the Connecticut Arts Alliance. He's going to talk about his work in the arts. And we're going to open with a new topic that we're going to be introducing today and staying with for a while having to do with housing and renting and tenants rights i'm very happy to have two people here who are very involved in a growing movement across the state to organize and inform tenants to try to protect their rights and needs along with the changing economic landscape and the loss of housing that's happening everywhere around us so it's the connecticut's tenants union and right now in the studio i'm very happy to have luke melancos with us he is a uh, based in Hartford. And next to me is a local folk. He, uh, Jay Osborne is with the Wyndham Mills Tenant Group, and uh, they formed a few years ago to try to organize people in our area. So I thank Jay and Luke for being here today. And since this is our first time, maybe Luke, uh, Luke you could start out with about how you connected to the issue sure. and how the Tenants Union was formed and what led it to you know, have a need to be. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, just to clarify, I'm based in New Haven. Okay. Yep. Um, so I got involved uh, back at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. Okay. It was the era of the pandemic shutdowns, you know, the a lot of insecurity, economic insecurity during that time. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And I had been working in homeless services previously. I was a homeless outreach worker. So housing and homelessness were already very near and dear to my heart, and I sort of saw firsthand how devastating of a humanitarian crisis homelessness is um, yeah. and wanted to get involved in something that would address the issue a bit further upstream, you know, prevention rather than kind of damage control. And so tenant organizing and building the ability of tenants to advocate for themselves and have more power in their lives and in their housing made total sense to me. Um, coming out of the homeless services world and also in that time of of the pandemic and also the you know the mass protests that we saw in 2021 calling for racial justice in particular yeah and so the tenant organizing started for me in in New Haven at a a property where there were a number of tenants dealing with an absentee landlord who didn't want to fix anything and wanted to raise the rents excessively and evicting people for you know kind of unjustified reasons and there was just a lot of anger and agitation at this complex. And we were able to get folks together to push for changes. At that time, we were going um, kind of towards the New Haven City government side, right, right. getting them involved to enforce tenant rights. And that ultimately resulted in passing an ordinance at the municipal level. But from there, we've learned a ton and expanded a lot to other areas of the state, including out here in Willimantic. Um, to, to see how when tenants join forces and realize yeah. that their struggles are shared, they can have real power and real influence to improve their housing conditions. Right. 
Eli Jay is here from our local area here in the Windermere, Willimantic. There's a group in Putnam. There's 10 across the state. And maybe one backstory you could share, Luke, is the, you know, the whole idea of good and bad landlords and good and bad tenants. That's an old story that goes way back. Mm-hmm. There's always that tension. Mm-hmm. But what is producing such a high level of conflict that people feel the need to organize and do something more than just complain to the local whoever. Mm-hmm. Something's going on. It's not the canary in the coal mine, but it's something where there's a reaction. Yeah, there is. What are you tapping into with this? And maybe, Jay, you could say about how you got involved here locally and what triggered this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one simple reality is that for the past several decades, uh, rents have increased dramatically more quickly than wages have. So people are just paying higher and higher percentages of their income every month uh-huh. to rent an apartment, keep a roof over, head, over their head, and experiencing that loss of economic power as bigger and bigger portions of their paycheck every month go right. to the landlord, right. while at the same time, uh, in many cases, people are experiencing a decrease in the quality of their housing, particularly as you know, kind of mega landlords like Jay's, for example, are buying up huge amounts of property and with the business model being largely dependent on reducing investment and costs as to the absolute bare minimum, which means not doing kind of basic maintenance and yeah. keeping things up to code. So you have these buildings that are deteriorating. People are watching their housing conditions worsen while yeah. they're watching their rents go up and up. All right. And that combination is just not sustainable. And it's really bringing a lot of people to this point of needing and, and being ready to take action because uh, kind of you're feeling the, the push on both sides, you know, both from the rent and from the decreased quality. So, Jay, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thank you. Maybe you could kind of jump in with uh, the idea of who the owner is. And when owners are not locally based, they're invisible. They don't answer phones. And I'm not being, you know, you know, attacking an individual in general. But these stories are classic. The farther away you are, the more immune you are. And the local government doesn't have the laws on the books to go after you or the staffing, right? So what led you to take action to try to do something better here? So what started, I feel like I became a cliche moving into the building I live in. Um, Out-of-state landlord, buying up lots of properties in Connecticut, uh, and doing nothing when it comes to maintenance. But basically what happened was uh, I moved into the building I live at, 560 on Main. Right. Right down the road, so to speak. And we had a, a front door broken for over seven months. And as a person who's mobile, it didn't affect me that badly. But it did affect my wheelchair-bound neighbors, five of whom were absolutely dependent on those doors, allowing their employees in to get them in and out of bed, et cetera. Caregivers. Caregivers, 24-7, who couldn't access the building because of a door. Seven months this was going on. Again, nobody responding to phone calls, emails, text messages. So I started rallying my neighbors and saying we need to do something. I wasn't exactly sure what we needed to do, but we needed to do something collectively because my efforts alone were going nowhere. Yeah. So that's how it started nearly three years ago. Um, and the, about the end of December, beginning of, of January of this year, we were put in touch with the Connecticut Tenant Union, which I didn't know existed at the time. Right. And it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, as you can imagine, we were no longer alone. Yeah. Um, thinking we were starting a movement that was already allies throughout the state doing the same thing, which was basically organizing yeah. and educating and empowering neighbors. 
Well, that's why we actually have Luke with us today, was I saw coverage of his work in another medium, in the Connecticut Mirror, actually, which is a great source of Connecticut news, the Connecticut Mirror, and they had a nice article about that, and it triggered the idea that, yeah, this is a movement, and they need to have access, and it's not about being political. Actually, you're trying to avoid political by fixing things that, when they're not fixed, become political. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I wonder from your work with other unions, maybe, or other states, have they found out that simple laws that make common sense are not on the books? Because so many times something that you would think is wrong seems that way, but if you do what the law says, no, it's not wrong, and I can't hold you accountable. Uh, I'll I'll answer that in two ways, one of which is there are a number of laws on the books that exist but are very difficult to get enforced which has been the case both here in Willimantic. Jay has plenty of stories to tell about that. Um, it's also certainly been the case in the, the tenant union in Putnam where just really egregious health and, ha- uh, health and safety standards that are on the books right. have been sort of flagrantly violated both by the landlord but also local and state agencies that were, are responsible for, for enforcing those laws. Um, so that's been another impetus for a lot of the organizing is tenants realizing, hey, housing code says, you know, I, my baby's not supposed to get poison from from lead in my apartment. That's right. And I've got the doctor's note, but no one seems to be doing anything about it. Even though I, I call my health department, I call whoever's supposed to be enforcing housing code in my town, nothing's happening. And when people feel the limits of the law, then, the, you know, there's a real sense of desperation around needing to organize. And the second thing I'll say to that is there certainly are basic, you know, what we would consider really basic tenant protections that we don't have here in Connecticut. Two of the most basic, which we fought really hard for at the state level this past legislative session, are an end to no fault evictions, which is where a landlord can evict a tenant for no reason whatsoever. They can just, it's, you know, they call it a lapse of time eviction where they just say, you know, for whatever reason, we just want you out um, without saying that it, the, the tenant did something wrong or even fell behind on their rent. It's just a no-fault So eviction. it's not like, oh, I have to sell my building. I'm sorry. It's not that kind of a thing. Right. Okay. And, That's a big difference. Yes. And good. And, and, and Jay has a personal story on this front that very often we see those types of evictions be used as retaliation against tenants trying to get their basic rights enforced. Yeah. You know. Um, and also a lot of people, at least a lot of tenants that we talk to, have the idea that there's some legal limit on how much a landlord can raise the rent from year to year. They, mm. they have that in other states. People may be familiar with it from New York. But um, here in Connecticut, there is no such limit. So in the housing crisis that we're currently in, where tenants have many tenants have so few options about where they can move to, um, people are often forced to just absorb you know, 20, 30, 40% rent hike. And there's no legal limit on that. And um, unless there's a fair rent commission in town, which is why that's what we're pushing for here in Willimantic. How do landlords and owners play market value and saying, don't blame me for what the market's doing to my properties. Uh, I can't control it. I can do what I can, but sometimes they play it both ways. Yeah. You know, they do to be fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you hear that argument when they say, well, you know, this is what I have to do because I don't have the resources I used to have, that kind of thing? Oh, sure. We right. do. And when we go, you know, when we go to these Fair Rent Commission hearings, that's that's usually it's sort of a, a battle of the, the narrative of the market and the narrative of human beings and kind of 
basic human needs, basic human rights. Mm. Um, we do, you know, we do also see a lot of rhetoric that doesn't get backed up by the numbers, and we've seen a number of times when Jay's smiling. Right <laughs> right. I, I, I can yeah, give a very yeah. personal story. Yeah, chime okay. in, chime yeah. in. So, three years ago, we had a new property manager hired, and our market rents were lower than Foster Drive uh, Colonial uh, Apartments. So rent increases were $25 per lease renewal, which was the high end of average in this area. New manager starts, first memo in October 1st issued said, any rents, uh, any leases renewed after January 1st will be $50. That was year one. Year two, which was last October 1st, the memo said, any leases renewed after January 1st will be $100. This October 1st will be year three, we're anticipating, if the trend continues, $150. And, you know, I was talking with an elderly neighbor of mine the other day, and she said, you know, a $50 increase, she, she'd only been in the building a year. She said, I, I'll be homeless. I'll be looking to go to the shelter. Here's a senior citizen, retired woman, living on a fixed income, who yeah. can't uh, even envision $150 uh, a month increase. Or a small family. Mm-hmm. The services in our building have not merited an increase. <laughs> right. We have lost our cleaning staff. Our maintenance staff is, once in a while, they'll send a handyman from Hartford or wherever they can find somebody to come and fix whatever. Yeah. Most of our neighbors fix each other's things, right. without exaggeration. <laughs> we have absolutely no outdoor maintenance at all, um, et cetera. So, yeah, some of the classic stuff um, we're experiencing. But, unfortunately, that the answer was... We're not at fair market. That was what we were told. Yeah. In writing. We were yeah. not, at, you know, that's the memo. Mm -hmm. There's been a fair amount of coverage, even in larger channels and with cameras, they show how horrible some of these Hartford addresses are. And when you hear how long they've been dealing with it, 24-7 for a long time, it's really horrific stuff. It is. So we have to do better. That's why you're here today. Right. This is our first of a series that we'll do once in a while, like we're doing this with healthcare in our area. Uh, but we've been speaking today with Jay Osborne from the Wyndham Mills Tenant Union. So thank you, Jay, for starting us off today. And we'll look forward to staying in touch also uh, with Luke, uh, Luke Milankos. He's from New Haven with the Connecticut Tenants Union, cttenantsunion.org. Uh, do you have a last thought before we wrap up for our first conversation before you go? Yeah, just wanted yeah. to sort of give a shout-out here in the local area in, in Willimantic. Like we mentioned, we will be advocating for the establishment of a fair rent commission here in town so the tenants do have a tool to, you know, make their case and, and sort of get redress over these excessive rent increases and, yeah. and poor conditions issues. And also to our tenant union in Putnam, the uh, Cargill Mills tenant union, who has been in a battle f since the beginning of the year uh, around some really just dangerous health and safety conditions that were the responsibility of both the landlord and, like I said, you know, local and state agencies who have yeah. simply looked the other way. And, you know, we want to uplift that struggle because the more attention and more eyes on that situation, the harder it will be for for the the right people to not be held accountable. And that's, that's what we're looking for is accountability. Yeah, that's right. So that's why we'll give this some time, give you coverage. Yep. Uh, and also we'll try to uh, – 
you know, to invite people to add to our conversation today. If you've had interactions or learned about other fair rent commissions that are working, maybe we could get someone there saying how they do their balancing act. Yeah. Because uh, they have a difficult choice sometimes, right? That's not easy. Yeah. Uh, so we'll stay with this, but I thank you both for being here today, and we'll continue in the months ahead, okay? Sounds great. Thanks so okay. much. Okay. Great. So we're going to take a short break and come back with artist Andre Rochester. You stay with us. Cool. Uh, so you got some photos for yes, us? Yes, I did. Okay, we got okay. a good start in. Thank All right. you very much. Oh, thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you, great. Luke. Okay. Thanks, John. So you keep cool. in touch with the emails? Yeah. And we'll figure out September, whatever you, you know, it's your calendar to make it sink in. Right. And it's every Wednesday. There's it's three slots. Uh, between five and six, in awesome. person is always the best. Yep. You know where you are now. Or fall. It was fun okay. coming in person. How's it going? Andre, yeah, hey, right. this is Jay and Luke. Yeah, nice, nice to meet you. Speak here. Stay welcome. Take care. They're doing a lot of work with tenants' rights. Right. Tenants' yeah. yeah. Oh, you heard some of that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Those are Have a seat, Andre. Okay. Okay, great. I was, you know, we talked about this at a meeting, and here we are. Yeah, we made it. We made okay. it happen, man. Yeah. So we have 20, uh, we have about 15, 18 minutes. Okay. And, uh, Great work. So Thank many you. things. Uh, and I want to watch the time carefully so it's relevant and useful for you to have sure, a chance. Sure. So maybe should we start talking about uh, 224 Ecospace or do you want to start about your path and how you've integrated personal art, arts, business, and helping others? Because that's what I got out of you. Is well, trifecta. I mean, that's, uh, it's all related. Yeah. It's all connected to each other. Yeah. Um, 224 yeah. is a place that I've had a relationship with for a long time. Um, That's on Farmington Ave, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Good. So we can. I mean, we can start there because that, that's primarily where I do work for, like you know, helping artists. Uh -huh. um, At you know, the fellowships. Yeah, yeah. That stuff is is through the two two four. And also, before we end, at some point after we've covered your work, I want to bring in the CAA. So because I bring them up on my own at times okay. with guests, but you okay. know, as a fellow member, maybe sure, to let people sure. know what it is and how you think that works. Uh, what would be the best website? AndreRochester.com if somebody wanted to follow up or yeah. and they could link to everything else through there? It'd be AndreRochester.com. Okay, I'll keep that one up. Okay, great. I got, got about it. 30 seconds. I'm oh, good. Splitting the break in two, so we have something to play later on. Okay. Oh, yeah, because I had a tune, but I'm glad yeah, you got my... CD player's not working. Oh, it's not at all. No. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Wow. <laughs> well, it's no budget buster these days. <laughs> oh, well, eBay used and it didn't work. Oh. I'll give him my well, disc, that man. That's okay. <laughs> ten, uh, seconds. ten seconds it is. Great. Three, two, one. All righty, we're back live on the home front. We're really happy to have you with us. For the third part of our show coming up in a few minutes, we're going to have some time with Lee Duffy, the executive director at Click, the commercially licensed cooperative kitchen. It's an incredible food incubator that's opened many, many locally based food businesses. And Lee has some news to, uh, you know, to share with us today later in the show. But right now, sitting right next to me, I'm very happy to have Andre Rochester in the house. He is an artist. He is someone who is working in the arts to help manage an organization and a gallery to share art. And he's also helping other artists find their way with fellowships and other activities. So there's many levels of activity, and Andre's found an amazing way to integrate everything. Uh, thank you for coming down from Hartford today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. You bet. You know, I should also mention that Andre and I are also fellow members of the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and we'll talk about that later in the show. 
But maybe like we talked, Andre, uh, we should start with uh, the uh, the 224, you know, EcoSpace in Hartford is a real sure. public space for a lot of energy. Sure. So the, the 224 EcoSpace is a, um, it's a location that serves kind of as a hub for people who are creatives and are in business, uh, really, you know, entrepreneurs who, who right. know they, they want to create a business out of their craft, whether it's dance or other performance uh, aspects. Um, uh, recently, we've started to, to dive more into the world of visual arts and so as a part of my job there I curate three spaces we have our corridors we have a small gallery which we're going to do something really special with next year um, and then we have our, our collaborative space which is about 5,000 square feet we actually just opened an exhibit there last week congratulations thank you thank you and then we have the um, artists of color accelerate fellowship which mm -hmm. pairs uh, greater Hartford artists with greater Hartford arts organizations um, this is across multiple disciplines we've had dancers we have writers and poets We've had, of course, visual artists, uh, singers, uh, and multimedia artists. So, yeah, that's that's uh, primarily what my work is there. Um, I'm the program manager there officially, right. uh, which right. means it's my job to create signature programming for the 224. Yeah. Now, I wonder one thing, you know, at Hartford and in a larger area, you have a denser population, mm -hmm. maybe more variety. Out here in the quiet corner, it's quiet <laughs> sometimes. You're smiling. Uh, but people are spread out. Sometimes they feel isolated and the numbers are low. Have you found examples of how the creative fusion that you're doing can be scaled down? Because what you're showing is how people are leveraging what they have mm -hmm. uh, and not always looking for someone else to do it for them, mm -hmm. to self-advocate and to open Absolutely. the creativity. But, but you know, if you have it in a large urban area or even a suburban area, how do you bring it out in the quiet corner? Well, it's funny that you call Hartford a large, a large urban area because it's really not. It's it's only 18 square miles, right? Yeah. Uh, I think point. the population is something like 120,000 in Hartford. Well, I'm right? used to so the river. Kind of so kind of small, like, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, in Hartford, we we've had uh, we've had to you know kind of make the thing happen ourselves in in a lot of different ways. Um, no matter what type of artist you are, you know it can be difficult. There's obstacles, right? There's arts institutions that have established themselves and. Yeah there's limited opportunity for artists to do the thing that they do. And that's because there's limited venues, right? There's just not right. enough places to fully accommodate all of the arts that is happening in Hartford. And so we have to get creative and we have to make up things, uh, you know, make our own show, find find a venue that will be willing to work with us to maybe temporarily use their space or something like that, right? If, you, if there's an open storefront, there's an open opportunity to make something happen. Absolutely. And a lot of people have done that. Uh, we do have places like Art Space in, in downtown Hartford where that's, right. uh, that's that's kind of like you know that's that's like your rite of passage as a visual artist. You, you kind of have to show there <laughs> um, at some point in your career. Um, but it is a space that is made available for artists. It is a very large gallery space on their first floor, and then there's a whole community of artists who live on the floors above it. Um, that is a place where, you know, I jokingly said it's like a rite of passage, but it's a place that has made itself available for the arts community to, to truly do what they do and showcase uh, what they love. Then there's places like the 224 Eco Space, for instance, or Charter Old Cultural Center. Um, these are, are more nonprofit spaces that, right. that you know, they, their focus is more on community, and so they've opened their doors and allowed for for various opportunities for um, for artists to do their work. But there's there's literally hundreds of artists in the Greater Hartford area, and um, no, there's just not enough places like that that will make it possible for us to you know really do what we love 
in the grand scale that we all want to. Uh, so you got to get creative. Make up yeah. a festival, right? Yeah. You know, this this a area gathering is, of some exactly, kind. exactly. You know, going back to, to you know looking at the Willimantic area, actually with the school out at uh, Yukon. So I'm, I'm familiar with this place. Um, there's opportunity to create things like an art festival, something yeah. that's outdoors. You don't even need an indoor space, right? Try to get uh, funding for tents and and have people set up booths and things like that to showcase their work, and then you can include performing artists in that as well. Um, you just have to you have to find out of the box ways to make a thing happen. When you drove in today to do radio here with us, did you happen to cruise willing and see the Shabu stage? Remember no, the old Jilson Square? Remember that? I, I didn't get a right? chance to, to see well, it. David I, I was Foster, just kind of focused on getting here. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. But if I meant yeah, like yeah. that stage. Uh, that old Shabu has mm. become the Shabu stage in Wyndham mm. several years ago. It's a major gathering for mm. music and nice, cultural nice. festivals. So a few times each year, people are working on that. Wonderful. But, but it's a huge life. Every year is a lot of events. And my question is, are there ways that people in areas where there's an abundance, relatively speaking, do they need places out here to show their work? Because I hear from many artists there is a shortage, but there is a lot of content. There's plenty of content. Um, I think so, that, I mean, uh, you know, how can they get out here as you know, well? If, as, if this community is willing to share, I mean, <laughs> we'd happily come out here and showcase yeah. our work. Um, the, the point is not to only showcase your work at home. In, in fact, right. that is not what your focus should be. It should be to you know show your work in as many places as possible. As a visual artist, if you don't get seen, you don't really find much success, especially as a business. Yeah. Uh, so the more people know who you are, the more people are exposed to your work, the more likely you are to actually generate income from it. Do you know of artists or partners you've worked with that are actually taking some of their work into maybe other parts of Fairfield or maybe near the shoreline so they are finding ways to get out? Or are they still looking all the time? I know of a few, but we're always looking. We're, We're always looking for an opportunity to show our work. Because we've had all the major guilds and arts councils on the show now, and they're looking, too, for venues, yeah, I mean, for spaces, yeah. membership. Everybody wants to branch out, and um, and that's a good thing. You know, you're supposed to want to branch out like that. And, right. you know, it, it's good to have those, those you know, homegrown uh, organizations or homegrown, like, movements uh, that are, you know, in your hometown. But yeah. our careers are bigger than that, right? And we have to think bigger than that, than that and, and expand our, ourselves to be a bit broader. So, you know, I, I like to hear that all the art guilds and stuff have come up here and, and they're looking for opportunities because that's what they're supposed to be doing. Well, we'll be talking some more about that. You've opened the door for that. I think that's a great idea. Uh, now, something else that Andre and I are involved with is the Connecticut Arts Alliance, and I mention it here off and on during the year, but I'm going to ask Andre to share his perspective for why he decided to join the Alliance and how they're trying to protect the arts in a time when its funding is very unstable and uncertain for all kinds of reasons. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I like the fact that the Connecticut Arts Alliance is a lobbying organization specifically for the arts. That is really what drew me to it. I was like, wow, we actually have an arts lobby. Um, that's, that's really cool, for one. But it's nice to know we have somebody out there representing us because, as you kind of alluded, the uh, you know the, the budget situations are, are not really that great, um, especially the current budget. Um, there needs to be more money dedicated to the arts, and there needs to be more focus on the arts because it has it has an effect on pretty much every aspect of what we do. You can't walk outside without experiencing art in some way 
it has a high level of importance. It's a billion dollar industry right here in the state of Connecticut. Um, take it a step further, it's like a three to five hundred billion dollar industry <laughs> across the the nation. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of money in the arts. There's a lot of um, you know economic stimulation that comes through the arts. Theaters attract people to your towns, right? That's right. Galleries attract people to your towns. These are things that keep you there when you're visiting. It's called the arts economy. It exactly, all relates. the arts economy. So, you know, the, the fact that it, it has such a um, profound effect on the, the economy overall because, you know, you're, you're bringing people from all walks of life together to either your downtown or your arts district if you're a larger right. metropolitan area or, right. you know, um, that all helps people with having jobs. It helps people with finding opportunities. It, um, it gives something for kids to do. How about that, right? Yeah. Get them involved in the arts, yeah. you know. Give them something that that is a, a bit more of a productive way to, you know, express themselves. They know um, for sure when a kid gets yeah. some arts early in life, it's life-changing. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it also helps yeah. with a number of things like problem-solving, for instance. That That is a huge part of art. Um, but uh, I think that uh, CAA is doing great work in the um, in the, the realm of, you know, just exposure to the arts and promoting the arts as something that is more than just a hobby for people to do. Right. Uh, we are supporting people who are in the arts business, right? This is an right. industry. Anything that generates billions of dollars is, in fact, an industry and should be respected as such, and CAA does a great job at doing that. Now, we just finished a session, mm -hmm. and there was an incredible amount of work done to try to maybe leverage a little more funding for the arts mm -hmm. from some additional funds that were not normally available, and now they are. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered, for people that are either watching us on YouTube or listening, when they talk to their local leaders or when they hear about state budgets, all the arts advocates need little messages from yeah. John and Jane Doe. And that's what trickles up, and people mm -hmm. have to hear more of that because it got really close, didn't it? It got pretty mm -hmm. close this time. But it needs a little more respectful noise. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, right. we we need to hear from not just the artists, but the people who appreciate art. And we need to make sure that you know folks are participating in like the uh, the, the testimonies that were requested earlier this year um, to to get more excitement around including the arts in the budget in a much bigger way than it has been because it truly is something that will boost the economy and and has been proven to do so. Yeah. And maybe one last thing I discovered as I spent some time learning more about Andre's work was how he's integrated in his own professional work the idea of integrating maybe different revenue streams, one of them being from the web itself to sell your work to help you. If you can't get to shows, you could do a lot of things online. So can you talk about how some of these basic technologies are helping people, even at smaller scales, keep it sustainable? All right, so I mentioned galleries earlier, right? Yes, you did. So galleries are not the only place that you sell your artwork. You, That's right. you are fully capable of selling your stuff online on your own, right? Whether it be through your website, which may have a online store or uh, platforms like an Etsy or Shopify, uh, which, right. which helps you promote. Um, Instagram and Facebook, they allow you to have a store right there on the app. Um, you can integrate your uh, your website store with Instagram's uh, shopping function, which will get you a, a higher level of exposure. Oh, for sure. I'm actually seeing results from that right now, and I just did that recently. So there um, there's uh, there's other resources out there. And, and, you know, when we talk about exposure, right, anybody in the world can see your stuff online. 
So now you literally have exposure to the entire planet. You know, whoever has that app in their phone is probably capable of purchasing something, right? So now you can generate revenue, right? You can sell something in Dubai. You can sell something in South Africa, right? <laughs> and you don't have to leave Connecticut to do it. So it's it's uh, a game changer for a lot of us. Um, you know, don't sleep on the galleries because they you know they get you in close with uh, with certain people in the art yeah. world, but they are not the sole resource for right. selling your work anymore. Right. And you also want to consider merchandise for your work. You know, don't overdo it, but yep. it helps to have T-shirts and things that are accessible. You know, original artwork is is not. It's not intended to be cheap, but there well, are other you know, ways different to reproduce. Price exactly. And when you can reproduce yeah. your work in different ways, it makes it accessible for people who appreciate it to, to show support. Now, you know, something else that we've talked about with other artists is how the arts is becoming more and more integrated with health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And we've had some groups here that have art galleries in our local Wyndham Hospital, like the mm -hmm. Wyndham Regional Arts Council. Uh, there is uh, uh, the Yukon Health Center is where Andre serves as the art curator. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how you made the connection to a major health institution and how they're trying to do what you're saying about integrating art into their operations? So, well, first of all, it's not anything new. Right. No, it's, at least not for UConn Health Center. They, yeah. They've been doing it for over 40 years, and sure. I found that out when, when I applied for the job. Um, <clears throat> uh, UConn Health is uh, an organization that I think has a, a fairly good understanding of the connection between just being creative, right? The creative uh, activities and, and overall wellness of people. Um, the art collection uh, in particular has been around since 1979 and that started with an auxiliary group um, and uh, a woman named Celeste LeWitt who was the cousin of uh, world famous artists and Hartford native Saul LeWitt started that collection. And so that, that's the history of it where it all began. Um, for me making the connection between art and wellness is um, it's just looking at my own, you know, my, my own experiences throughout life and where art has played a part, right? Art has been something that's gotten me through some of the toughest times of my life. It is, in fact, therapeutic to make art. It is therapeutic to share my story through my art and also to help other people in doing so. Um, being able to connect people through visual arts, uh, in particular, because I am a visual artist, I can speak to that, um, that allows me to create a safe space for sharing and for healing and for you know just open dialogue about things that we we feel in, in uh, as we view these images yeah. and in connecting people like that hopefully we find some actions that we can take to make things better uh, in some way yeah yeah, that safe space is getting to be harder to find these days. It is, it is, and and I think that art is a great way to create that because it's a uh, you know it's it's a way of letting something else make the statement that needs to be made so that you can focus on the discussion. Yeah. Right? It's the it's the catalyst versus somebody coming in and saying, Oh well you need to believe blah 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 blah. Yeah. That's not really well it's not my approach with art. I, <laughs> I want you to you. just think and, and actually discuss something and you don't have to agree, right? You have to understand. Yeah. That's the that's the beauty of what you're saying mm -hmm. because you know, it's not the messenger, it's the message. Yeah. They come and go, take out a messenger, messages can die too. Mm -hmm. But that's where you're trying to find a safe space for that. Yeah. So Andre Rochester, I'm so glad you're here. I want to give you some information to stay in touch. Is AndreRochester.com to stay in touch with Andre's work. And to connect to the 224 Ecospace Gallery, it's the 224.org.
And we'll continue our talks, and we'll talk to some of the groups in our area about mixing up sure. different regional artists. That'd be really nice to do. Yeah, I'd love to. And we'll continue on the on the CAA. Thanks yeah. for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay. It's a pleasure. All righty. Okay, so we're going to take a short break and come back and take a look at Click with Lee Duffy. Don't go away. All right. Yeah. Good. So I got a couple of shots of us. Yes, I did. Nice ones. Okay. Wonderful. Thank Wonderful. you. So we Thank covered. You for having me. It was good to have you. Yeah, yeah. We got a nice, uh, nice broad array of uh, topics there. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, well, that's because, you know, like when you showed me your stuff, it was there. <laughs> so I thank you for giving that. And maybe in the uh, wintertime, if you have a easy. special event or something special, well, then we'll do something in the winter, depending sure. on the calendar. And when you see any connection at all from anybody, because you're going to have a great network of your own, that anybody is looking this direction, just say we'll talk to that guy. We'll do. Because our we'll network do. of groups, you know, who knows once you open the door. Yeah, you never know what can happen. That's right. Well, thanks a lot for having thanks me. Thanks for coming guys. in. Okay. Little, I appreciate it. Okay. It's nice meeting you. Nice meeting you too. Okay. Safe travels home. Thank Happy you. Labor Day. You too. Okay. We'll see you at the next meeting at the CAA. Mm -hmm. uh, how are we doing for time? A uh, minute and a half. Oh. Oh, come on in. When did you email? Probably in the afternoon. Lee would have around three. Oh, I never got it then because I'm on the radio. Yeah. It's much too late. That's okay. Have a seat here. Sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> Have a seat here. Uh, yeah, you know, because I'm on the air at, uh, up at Eastern at three o'clock. Okay. So I, you know, rather than ask you some really you intelligent, <laughs> informed questions, yes. I'll open the door nicely for you to tell your story. Wonderful. And you know what? They won't even know the difference <laughs> if we do our jobs. Yes. 40 seconds. Okay. Sydney Clements, I know you from so many times. Could mm -hmm. you refresh me on your name again? I'm sorry. Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Chelsea. Yep, Sherry A. Sherry. I know you were here last time, Sherry. Uh, Chelsea. Yep. There's um, just so many guests and people I'm trying to yeah. keep the names. I've no. had many shows with uh, Yes, Sydney. I'm from Click, yep. and we're talking about the composting fundraiser. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. 20 seconds. And you're WFCN, right? Yep. Right. Community Food Network, yeah. Yep. Keeping the hats clear, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whenever possible, let me tell you. Three, two, one. Hey, we're back for the last part of our show today. We're really happy to have you with us. If you'd like to join me in the studio for a future program, if you've got some news to share or some special event, the studio is open to you anytime. Just send us an email and we'll take care of everything. Make it very easy for you. It's john at humanartsmedia.com. That's john at humanartsmedia.com. So I'm very happy to have two returning guests to talk about their good work in our community. To my far right, I'm happy to have Sydney Clements back with us again. She's with the Wyndham Community Food Network. Good to have you back in the house, Sydney. Thanks for having me. You bet. And also following up on her last visit next to me is Chelsea Cherrier. She's with the uh, Click organization, the Commercially Licensed Cooperative Kitchen. And we're good to have Click in the house again. Yes, thanks for having me. And you have a special event uh, in about uh, something that's near and dear to my everyday life because we compost. Oh, we wonderful. We are composters. <laughs> Love that. And that's what this is about is composting as well as managing the environment a little better. So, Sydney, maybe you could uh, you know, start the story. Yeah. Right now, uh, we are running a composting fundraiser uh, with Sustainable CT. Uh, they're doing a 1.5 match for us. So if you donated $10, it would turn into $25. Uh -huh. uh, and the fundraiser ends on Friday. So we are here to try and do that last little push to help us meet our goal 
of $6,000, which would then turn into $15,000. And if you succeed, what has been your vision for how you would use that support? Yeah, so um, Wyndham Community Food Network and Click have come together, and we are working on community composting initiatives. Uh, right now, we're at Third Thursday at our Waste Not Tents, where we're doing waste diversion, so taking the compost out of there that goes to Click, and we compost at Click, and also the recyclables as well, and trying to eliminate um, the amount that goes into the landfill. And um, so this money would help provide stipends for the volunteers that help us at these events excellent um, because it's a messy job and is, yeah. they deserve to get paid and it's hard work and we want to keep those volunteers um, and it would also just help with uh, community education and a few other things so last push till friday are you having any sense just in general from the work you do during the year that people are getting a bit more uh, supportive of composting do you see more that's always a struggle you know recycling is a real struggle yeah. As much as people think we're doing, we're still way behind. I think people also are confused. I think Tell education is really important. Of um, Sometimes it can be easier to figure out what you're supposed to do with your recyclables than just to put in the trash. Um, yeah, and yeah. when you're not educated, you know, it's hard to make that decision. And um, it's also harder on the waste management companies because when all the stuff is contaminated, it makes their jobs harder as well. So I think education also is a really key part um, of helping people compost and recycle. Yeah. Well, Sydney, what's the best way for people to show their support? Should they go to the website? What's the way to connect after our show today? Yeah, we have lots of links and stuff floating around out there. Uh, you could go to Click's uh, Facebook page, the Wyndham Community uh, Food Network's Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You could just go right to WyndhamFood.org slash compost, and it will bring you right to the online donation portal. Uh, there's also links on Click's website and... Um, we have these little posters going around with QR codes that you can scan if you see yeah. them out at the co-op or something. Right, um, right. And we'll also be collecting donations in person at Third Thursday tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow is the third. And then there's only one more left in September. Correct. Uh, now, here's a hokey question, but I, I have the courage to ask it. People are still figuring out what the heck composting is. And can you talk about how simple it is and that you're a little piece of that pie if you have neighbors or maybe you're in an apartment building or in a group of some kind, all that adds up to serious, serious food, and it also helps to reduce waste in landfills. Can you talk about how our individual lives and why people are trying to do more of this? You know? Absolutely. So yeah. the beauty of composting isn't also just removing things from lands landfill. It's the stuff that composting is like liquid, like black gold, basically, <laughs> when it comes to gardening. So all of the compost or food scraps that we collect are at a compost pile at Click right now. Mm -hmm. And that will generate some fresh like compost, which is basically like a super fertilizer that you can put on your garden and help grow plants right. so we want to distribute that out to community gardens uh, to help us continue uh, continue to grow more fresh food for our communities and pantries uh, for people in need in our town yeah and it's super nutrient dense right when all those vegetables that have nutrients start to break down and decompose those nutrients go into the soil so then when you put that on your plants it actually brings more nutrients into your plants as well so definitely a good thing to have <laughs> so let's get into the weeds a little more now and say well i've separated some of the good stuff that should become compost from kind of garbage 
how do you figure out how people separate it? Like, you know, like we have a compost bucket. It goes in the back of the shed. There's a bigger one. It's a big unit. Can you kind of paint a picture so people realize how simple it is and the idea of taking it, separating it at home, when you have to put it somewhere, it's doable is what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way. This is all doable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So instead of just throwing everything into one bin, it's just a matter of maybe you scraping out the food that's left out on your takeout container into uh, a separate bin and rinse out your takeout container and maybe you can recycle it. Hopefully you could just reuse it. Um, and then uh, things like your greasy uh, forks or plastic forks and stuff, like those have to go in the trash. That's right. So like it's really, it sounds maybe a little daunting, but an extra 10 seconds as you're cleaning up. Um, and if you visit us at Third Thursday or any of our events, we have volunteers that are staffed at all of our tables. We have some really beautiful graphics that Casella made mm -hmm. that shows visual pictures of where things go. And all of our volunteers are trained and can kind of help guide you along how to use it at the event. And then hopefully that also translates into how you throw things away in your home. Right. So we're doing this live and we're recording this today on August 16th. But they have until this Friday if you'd like to make a donation. Just go to the website, click Willimannick. Uh, actually, WFCM. Is it WyndhamFood.org? WyndhamFood.org I've got too many websites compost. in my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. also clickwillimannick.com slash compost yes. as well. Okay, that's it. Now, you work throughout the year, though, uh, Sydney, and we have you on different special events. People are still learning about the Food Network and what you're trying to do, and also to connect to young people. So they start to connect food with health and trying to figure out healthy food versus junk food. Can you talk a little bit about how you're trying to do little things throughout the year to make everyday life healthier and to make the food economy a little better yeah. for us? So we are trying to stay away from like a, any kind of like prescriptive dieting kind of advice and stuff. Right. Uh, right. And a lot of it is really more on increasing access of this nutrient dense, uh, fresh produce uh, locally grown in our community. Um, and so the idea is we're not out there preaching to people of don't eat your birthday cake. You should absolutely eat your birthday <laughs> cake. But also we want there to just be more fruits and vegetables available to you when you are out there uh, shopping. Right. And that's everyday life because when you go to the supermarket, it's like, well, where your money goes is part of the life cycle. Yes. And things don't have to travel thousands of miles to be tasty. Yeah. And I would argue it's yeah. not even just uh, where your money goes. Uh, yeah. What you're doing with the compost, that's really like a huge full circle uh, motion. So ideally is that you're eating this locally grown food or food that's been prepared by local businesses at Third Thursday. And then we're taking those scraps and we're putting it in our compost pile. And then that compost is going to be used to grow more food as well. So it becomes this closed loop cycle. There you go. Yeah. Flowers, other veggies. Yeah. And on the click side, they're working as a food incubator for many businesses that are starting out from scratch dealing with food. And I, and I wondered, uh, Chelsea, uh, if you could explain how the thing that click does that's so powerful is it provides a legal kitchen mm -hmm. where people who want to work with food can do it legally. That you, you, you can't sell stuff at home, you know, you bake. Yeah. Uh, and that's where Click has opened the door for many people. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. have over 35 food businesses operating out there of Click right now. And basically, we offer kind of that front end investment on food entrepreneurs or chefs that want to start a food business, but nobody really has the overhead to open a brick or mortar. So we offer the equipment, we offer business support, we offer food safety support, and really everything that you need to get from a dream to a food business. And um, 
yeah, we help also bring them to Third Thursday and events and things like that as well. Yep, and some of the businesses, uh, they have their food for sale. They sell them online. They sell them right here at the co-op in town. So it's another kind of a local engine that keeps money local, mm -hmm. which is really underutilized as a resource for us too. Keeps work local as well. Yes, that food economy. That's it. <laughs> That's it. All right, well, once again, the websites are uh, windhamfood.org and uh, clickwillimannick.com. And I want to thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having us. Raise that dough. Yes. We're almost there. Go to the website. I'll throw you a few. $2,800 more. Yes. $2,800? Yes. Well, you know, two and a half days. Was it midnight Friday? Yep. Yep. There you go. I think we can do it. Come visit us at Third Thursday. Yes. We'd love to see you. Good luck. I'm going to see you in after Labor Day. We'll see you for the fall, okay? Yes, definitely. Okay, great. All righty. Well, I think we're all set to go for this week. Thanks very much for sharing some time with us here on the home front. If you want to join us, john at humanartsmedia.com is the website to be right here to share your story, and we'll see you next time.